And so I'd now like to invite my wife, Fiona, who's going to give, bring us the reading, which is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're beginning a new series. 1 Peter chapter 1 is a great book to begin, particularly at a time like this, and I'll explain that later on. But Fiona's going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, and the version is the new international version of the Bible. Over to you, Fee. This is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or feed. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds um, of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Amen. Thank you, Fee. That was tremendous. So, looking at Peter, the book of Peter, the epistle, epistle being a letter that was written during the early church, um, uh, uh, during the early days of the church. And as I was reflecting on this, it made it reminded me of, of something that happened to me some years ago. From 2000 to 2003, I served with the Parachute Regiment. There's a picture of me as a young man in the uh, early um, uh, noughties, but I think it was taken about 2003, when I served with um, what's called the Gunji Greens. You can just see in the corner there my parachute patch above, uh, just beneath my wings, um, which was the DZ patch of, of Free Power. And I very proudly served with Free Power um, for um, three years. And um, one of the things I learned during this time was, in fact, how to jump out of airplanes. And what was interesting there is that um, it sounds like a wonderful thing to do until you actually come to do it. And it took a lot of training, a lot of preparation before eventually I learned how to jump out um, of, of, of an aircraft and float gently down to earth. Although these landings were never quite that gentle, as military parachutes are not like recreational parachuting. The low-level parachute brings you down very quickly and, in fact, very hard. Um, 
recreational parachuting is designed to, to make you enjoy parachuting. But military parachuting is all about getting you down to the ground as quickly as possible. Because basically, the longer you're in the air, the more danger it is for you being shot. So the, the idea is the, the parachute, the military parachute we, we used to use, the LLP, was designed um, to bring you down as safely as possible without breaking bones. Um, because as you hang in the air, you're a target for, for enemy snipers and what have you. And uh, so it brings you down very, very quickly. And it's equivalent, every jump you make is equivalent of jump, jumping off of a 30-foot wall onto concrete. Um, that's how hard it is, and trust me, after a few years um, of parachuting, it really does start to uh, have, uh, bring a problem. As you get older and you get cricks in your back, you begin to perhaps re uh, regret some of these, those earlier decisions that you made. But the reality is, is that um, God called me into the military and then called me to serve as a, as a, as a, as a padre to a parachute regiment. And um, military parachuting is both um, thrilling but actually terrifying at the same time. And at this time of year, you see lots of little parachutists, don't you, around, blown by the wind. You see lots of seeds that have been blown out there from the bushes and through, from plants as, 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 as plants seek to spread their brand, spread their type, spread a genus across the world. We see these little seeds floating around and gently being caught up in the grass, in the bushes, in the corners of fields. Lots of seeds scattered trying to bring new life to the planet in which we live. And every time I see those miniature parachutists, I'm reminded of that time I spent in the military. And I'm reminded of the people that, Paul, uh, that Peter is talking to in this passage. Because one of the first thing Peter does in his letter is to call the church a people who have been scattered. They are a scattered people. A scattered people. Not a scattered people, that's very, very different. We're called to be a scattered people. And the word here, scattered, is, is a key word because you cannot scatter yourself. It's a farming term often used of sowing seed. We see it being used, for example, in Matthew 13 and verse 3 in that famous parable of the sower. It suggests that skeeds are scattered. They're not placed gently into the ground, but they're thrown, they're shaken around, they're almost seemingly discarded to bring life, but scattered with a purpose. And note where they've been scattered. Peter writes, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. This is fascinating. We're going to look at some maps now and I'll show you just what was happening by this scattering. And the first map we're going to show you is just a map of that whole area. And if you look at my cursor, okay, um, the people of Israel were coming from from um, from Palestine in in this in this area here, and they gradually began to migrate as they've been persecuted, began to migrate north through Syria and into this area here, which is the area of Asia Minor. And Asia Minor sits right next to Egypt, uh, to, not for Egypt, sits right next to Europe. And this is Europe here, and it's a very very small. But there's a couple of rivers here that actually separate this main bulk of land from Europe itself. And if you look at this next map, it shows you the early churches that were, were, were developing at the time that Peter is writing. You can see here these churches represented in red are going more and more and moving further and further north up into, um, into Europe. And of course, when they spread and the gospel spreads out throughout the known world. 
So what's happening here? What's happening here is that the people are being scattered in order to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these early Christians have been shaken up. They've been shaken up and, and shaken out all over Asia Minor to take the gospel message. And perhaps some of you today feel you've been shaken by recent events. The coronavirus, the killing, unlawful killing of an unarmed man called George Floyd. Or the recent riots up and down the country and other nations and the pulling down of statues. And the abuse we can read and see on Facebook and other social media platforms. The intolerance, everyone claiming they've got the right. And everyone not listening and drown out the voice of the other. Peter was writing to a people who had been shaken up and scattered. But this scattering was not random and was not without purpose. It was to move people away from Israel, away from Palestine and into the whole world so that message could be carried and the faith that received will be spread around the world. And looking at those maps of Asia Minor that borders Europe, these early Christians have been scattered because God wanted them to bless the whole world. And sometimes we experience scattering and the, and the shaking in our lives because God wants to move us out. We can get too comfortable in a way of living. We can get too comfortable in a place and God shakes us and moves us for a new mission a new outreach, a new job he has us to do. And we can complain about this and say, no, we don't want this. We're, we're, too, we're comfortable enough. But God is doing it for our good and for our blessing. It may even be through the coronavirus and the recent unrest that God is doing this to our nation and to our world for our good, to shake us up, to move us out, to see life in us. God always has a plan. And so uh, Peter tells them that they're not only scattered, he says that they're strangers, but this world is not their home. He describes them as being strangers in the world. He writes in verse one, to God's elect strangers in the world. We are strangers in this world. The word there, the literal word there is the word diaspora. diaspora. And what's um, Fascinating here is this word was only ever used of the Jewish nation up until this point. It referred to those of the Jewish nation who had moved outside the land of Palestine and it referred to any, Christ, any Jewish people, any Israelis that lived outside of Israel. They were referred to as the diaspora. And this is the word that Peter uses here. Jews, you see, have been moving for centuries from Palestine and Israel for a variety of reasons. Some have been forcibly exiled by the invading armies of, of, of Syria and Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire. Others have chosen to follow the trade routes and find their fortunes outside of Israel and Palestine. But for whatever reason they'd left Israel, they're still part of the Jewish race. They were thus the diaspora. And so Peter describes these early Christians as part of a new diaspora. That we've been scattered through the world as aliens, but for a purpose. We are like those seeds, the little seeds blown by the wind to bring life and fruit elsewhere. And so Peter is saying to us, this current world is not our home. We're not where we feel most comfortable. We're not here to put down roots. We are not of this place. 
We've been scattered here. We are quite literally, as Peter says in verse one, strangers. That's why many Christians will feel themselves profoundly uncomfortable at what's going on in the world just now. The pandemic, the fear, the racism, the violence, the failure to listen to others, the name calling, the general behavior of people. It is profoundly uncomfortable. The word here for stranger or alien is a very interesting Greek word. It's actually three words rolled into one. Para, which means from elsewhere, epi, which means near, and demos, which means people, periepidemos. And that, that word means a near people from elsewhere. In other words, it means a people that are coming from elsewhere, but are near to us now, but we're not known. They're strangers, they're aliens, they're foreigners. They come from afar, but they're here in the near. There are people from afar living close by. People who are outside their homelands. People who are resident aliens in a land that's not their own. In a culture that's not their own. They're not comfortable. They're, they're, they're reacting towards the differences in culture. And it carries two directions of thought, this word. It first refers to a people who come from another place. And it secondly refers to a people whose dwelling is only temporary. A people who are moving through where we are, who are moving on. And so Peter here regards us as foreigners, as aliens. We live on this earth, but our eyes are on a better place. This is not our end place. This is not our end goal. We are traveling through this place. We are strangers to this world. That's what Peter's saying here. This dwelling is only temporary. He mentions that our better place is in verse 4. It is heaven. And he writes later on, uh, and we'll hear about this next week, in verse 17, he says, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Live your lives as strangers here. We're not comfortable here because this is not our home. The word here is similar to that word um, I mentioned earlier on, uh, periepidemus. Um, it's the word parikotus um, or parokotus, um, which actually refers uh, which actually the word from which we get the word parish and it's the word basically saying but this isn't our homeland this isn't our native place this isn't really our true parish you see this is a temporary dwelling that's why we feel uncomfortable and unsettled in this world we're not to put roots down here we're forever to be looking towards heaven that's our destination not here so Paul writes in Hebrews 13, for we do not have an enduring city. Sorry, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. That is our destination. That is our home and not this world in which we now find ourselves. Professor Willie Barclay writes, we are the exiles of eternity. And so we are. People, if you do not feel at home in this world, it's because this world isn't our home. We are a scattered people, scattered like seeds to bring growth in this world. And so we should be reflecting the light of Christ and bringing his message, his light into the world in which we live. This is not our home. Wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you live, you are a seed that God has scattered. You are there for a purpose. Don't treat that purpose lightly. Pray for opportunities to witness to your neighbours, to people around you. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on others. You've got the message. Carry that message. Be scattered for a purpose. 
Bring that message to a world because this world needs to hear it because we are a scattered people and we're not just a scattered people. We are a suffering people. We are a suffering people. Peter writes in verses six to seven. Now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness, so these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. This verse is a key verse to the whole epistle of 1 Peter. It's why this letter is so relevant to people living in a pandemic and living in a crisis that we currently find ourselves in. See, the main theme of the book of Peter is hope. And it's written for a people who are suffering. They are scattered. They're not in their home place. They're unsettled and they are suffering in that situation. Not only are they scattered and living as aliens, but they're facing all kinds of persecution within the Roman Empire. Christians weren't welcome for over 300 years of the early formation of the church. They were seen as being traitors because they did not worship the emperor. They were seen as being disloyal because they wouldn't, because a lot, a lot, a lot of them were pacifists, they wouldn't join the army or, or, or fight, for the, fight for the emperor. They were seen as cannibals and incestuous because they called themselves brother and sister and this this naive picture this childish picture was pictured of them literally being related to each other and yet they were married but they're brother and sister they were seen as cannibals because they ate the body of christ this is barbaric they the myth you know fake news is not new the fake news was is that christians were literally eating flesh at the lord's supper not bread and wine this message gave, gave, a, gave a very powerful cocktail. The internet and the rubbish you read on the internet. And I reading rubbish last night. I couldn't believe some of the stuff. And people don't check it out. They just say, oh, it must be right. And they naively get a banner disagreeing with this and that. And they've got no idea what that means. They start to shout and to rant. And the more they rant, the less they can hear. And the more they get fired up by anger. We're in a world that doesn't belong to us. This is what happened. This is what happened, brought about the persecution of the Christian church. So the Christians were suffering. And eventually it meant that, you know, there were massive shows in and around the Roman Empire where Christians were literally thrown to the lions. They were burned alive. Nero used them as human candles. He covered them in wax and reed and, and used to have he used to have mills with Christians on poles in, in his palace, imperial palace in Rome. They were treated abominably because they were seen as traitors. They were a suffering people. And this suffering didn't end for the Christian church until around about 323 AD when the first um, Christian emperor, emperor uh, came to be in Constantine. And this letter is written around about 62 to 64 AD. So it's very early on in the church and Christians were suffering. In fact, Peter himself when he wrote this letter, was even in prison. He was in Rome. He was in prison, and later on he would be martyred in Rome under the reign of the evil emperor Nero. Christians were being persecuted. Throughout the known world, Christians were being persecuted. And some were even killed during this time, and they were forced to leave Judea and to move and to be scattered around Asia Minor and eventually scattered around ancient Europe taking the gospel of Christ. We read about these events in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. After following the stoning of, the, uh, uh, of Stephen, there the, um, Luke writes, 
A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And no doubt the Christians who were scattered were crying to God and saying, God, I didn't sign up for this. What's going on? Why are we suffering? Why is this happening to me and to my family? But Peter says in verse 7, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Being a Christian is no guarantee that you won't have to suffer in this life. In fact, being a Christian can be the very cause of your suffering, as in the case here of the Christians that, uh, that Peter is writing to. He says, though now for a little while you may have to suffer many, uh, many uh, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These Christians were suffering, but they were suffering with a purpose. Peter says in verse 7, it was so in order to prove the genuineness of their faith. Testing can literally be a trial by fire. Testing whether you really believe and trust he speaks about it of being greater worth than gold because the way we refine gold is to heat it up. And as we heat it and cook it, all the impurities of gold float to the surface. It's a soft metal and those are skimmed off. And the purer the gold, the greater the heat and the more the refining fire. And it eventually you can actually boil gold away, but you refine it, get rid of all the impurities and you skim it off. That firing process, that trial refines the gold and makes it purer and of a better quality. And that's what happens to us as Christians in suffering, the things that happen to us, circumstances. These aren't random. God is in control. And God uses these sometimes to refine us, to bless us, and to make us a greater blessing, to test our faith. Earlier on, I spoke to you about military parachuting. And here's a picture of going out the door. And trust me, I was the first man in my stick on my very, very first... Um, parachute jump as an officer and as I stood there in this stick and we rolled over the Oxford countryside you're not allowed to hold the outside of the door you've got literally have your hand strapped over your reserve parachute in front of you and the PJI the parachute jump instructor holds the back of your harness to stop you falling out and I was rocking in the doorway above this countryside looking at that countryside I, I, I'd done all the training, I'd done all the, the, um, all the training, I'd done all the, the lessons I passed all the tests up until that point but all of it was theory, the proof of the genuineness of my belief in being a military parachuting, parachutist, of being a para, was the day I went out that door. Only then did I prove that I believed I was a military para, I was a para. Uh, a para. As the aircraft flew, that Hercules flew at 140 knots over the Ox 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 Oxfordshire clay at a thousand feet height. Trust me, that first jump was terrifying because it was all about theory until I went out the door and fell to earth at a great speed. It's all about trust and the testing of your faith. Trials can be terrifying, but they prove our faith is genuinely, genuine and not simply make-believe. 
And so P Peter tells the church here, he says, says, expect trials, expect suffering, but never regard it as without purpose, because God will always have a purpose. There's that wonderful verse in, 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 in Romans, where Paul says in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who, who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. Because we're not just a scattered people. And we're not just a suffering people. But we're also a special people. We are a special people. And Peter makes this quite clear that the people to whom he is writing are special. Not just in his eyes, but in the very eyes of God. He uses a specific word to describe our specialness. He says that we are the elect. He writes in verses 1 and 2, To God's elect, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is a very special word for people who, um, who were to receive this letter, that they are the elect, the chosen. This is a staggering statement. When we read Acts the Apostle, we see how, uh, how Peter had to go with a journey with God before he would recognise Gentiles as being really of God, that God was trying to save Gentiles. And Peter's reader, this is staggering because, in fact, Peter's readers for this, um, for this particular book um, were not exclusively Jews. You see, the Jews up until this time saw themselves as the chosen people of God. And the majority of people that Peter was writing to were non-Jews. In Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people of Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his treasured possession. That's Deuteronomy 7, 6. Same is said again in Deuteronomy 14, verse 2, where, where Moses writes, Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. And of course, originally this was being written to the Jewish people. They were the chosen people. They were God's chosen ones, the elect. He mentions this in the Psalms, like Psalm 105, verse 5, or Psalm 105, verse 43, that they are his chosen ones, God's chosen ones. But the staggering thing here is that it's most certainly that Peter here is writing to a predominantly Gentile audience. Later in his epistle, in chapter 2, verse 10, Peter writes to them, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. These people weren't always a people. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people because you are God's elect. You are God's chosen one. Well, if that was just Jewish people, they were always a people. He's writing here predominantly to Gentiles. For Peter, a Jew by birth, this was a tremendous change in his thinking. For many of the Jews, a Gentile was not certainly not chosen. They certainly were not even to be touched. In fact, some of the rabbis, you can read this in the rabbinic writings, some of the rabbis taught that God created the Gentiles to be the, the fuel for the fires of hell. One rabbi even remarked, but just as the best of snakes must be crushed, so that the best of Gentiles must be destroyed. They believed that Israel only was loved and the chosen of God. But through Jesus Christ, the great promises given to Israel became the blessing for all mankind, for all those who follow Jesus. Through faith in Jesus, we become 
part of the new Israel. The people of God, inheritors of the promise, not by race, but by grace. God's concern is not the race, it is the grace that brings us all together as one. That's his focus in Jesus Christ. Jesus brings down the barriers and unites us in a common humanity. This means you're God's special people, his chosen ones, his treasured possessions. That word elect is wonderful because it's a word used in, 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 in the Greek language of anything that's especially chosen. When you go to your wardrobe and you, for a very special time, a wedding or a special, a special occasion, you choose out the best, the very thing you want to wear. You choose that. Well, God has done that to you. He has chosen you. He has sorted among the rest and he's put his hand on you and chosen you to be one of his special people. You are special to God. And our being chosen is certainly not linked to any goodness in us, but it's down to the goodness in Jesus Christ. It's because God loves us that we're chosen by God to be special. God has chosen you. But with that choice, with that choosing, comes a responsibility. We're chosen, like Israel's, to be the servant of God, to do his will, and to be those who convey his love and message to those around us. You see, they have been chosen to be scattered. That's what Peter makes clear in verse 1 and verse 2. He writes there, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces. And he goes on by saying the provinces are. And then he says, who have been chosen? You have been chosen to be scattered, chosen to be an exile, chosen to take the message of Jesus Christ in the world in which we live, chosen to be a light of this world, reflecting the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We're not scattered as part of some random process. God is a God of order. He is a God of purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. God is in control. So why have you been chosen? Well, Peter tells us here in verse 2, who have been chosen to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Faith is about trust. It's about following him. It's about hearing him. And then Peter writes, and we close with this in verses 8 to 9. He says this, though you have not seen him, that's Jesus. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He is saying, it's not all here, people. We haven't got it all together. We don't see Jesus now, but we see him in the mind's eye of faith. We know he's there and we love him because we see him. And because we exercise his faith, we are filled with an inexpressible joy. This world is seeking joy and we have it in abundance, Christians. If only we learn to live by faith. To be a scattered people, to be a suffering people, to be a special people. You know, Peter's here is talking about joy, not happiness. Don't get confused. Happiness is emotion. The world is seeking happiness all the time. It wants a fix. It gets happiness, a pint of beer. You feel happy for a moment, then that wears off. That's not a lasting happiness. I enjoy being like the next man. But I wouldn't want to sacrifice what I have in Jesus. And that's not happiness, that's joy. That's a deep knowledge, deep inside my soul, that I'm on the way to a better place. That God is real and working in my life. That God has a purpose for me and he has a purpose for you. That's the joy that gives me the ability to face pandemics and difficulties like the race riots that are taking place in this country. Because I know this is not it. 
We're on the way to on the on the way to somewhere better. Joy is a state of mind based on the assurance of a deep belief in Jesus Christ and in reality of a loving, gracious Father God. Joy is something of a, of a commitment, a mental assent, an agreement, a commitment to. That's what joy is. And it's not shaken like happiness. You can be really happy one day. You get out of bed and stamp your toe. And the next minute you're not happy. Happy Happiness is so unstable, so volatile, so up and down. We are not happy people necessarily. We are a joyful people. And joy gives us a deep knowledge that feeds our mental, mental health and feeds our state of mind. We are a joyful people. What a picture he says here. We're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what God gives us. Because we have an inheritance that no one can take away from us. That no one can lose. He writes in verse 4, Into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We talk a lot about shielding right now, don't we? Shielding people from the pandemic, from the virus, COVID-19. And yet we are shielded by faith, by God's power. We have an inheritance that no one can take from us. It won't spoil, it won't rot, it won't decay. It's kept in heaven for us, for you, and for me. So we are a scattered people. We are a suffering people and we are a special people. Don't give in to fear or uncertainty. Don't be surprised when you feel you are totally out of sorts with this violent and dark world. We are strangers here. God always has a purpose. He always has a plan. And although we may never know what it is, we do know that we are on a journey. And that this place is not our home, because you are special, chosen by God to bring light, his light, into this world on our way to the next. Amen.